0: Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefandini. Well, now I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word to Psalm 97 today or to turn your Bible apps to Psalm 97. We are continuing our journey this summer through some of the Psalms. And this week we are in Psalm 97, a psalm that we have entitled, A Song of Kingship. So we're going to be camping out there today. The context of Psalm 97 is the return of Jesus. This psalm focuses on the return of Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. And in it, the psalmist is anticipating the return of Jesus, our King. And he takes up the idea of Psalm 96, 13, the theme that we see there in the last verse of Psalm 96, and he runs with it going into Psalm 97. Psalm 96, 13 says, Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. So he goes from this verse on to describe what the return of Jesus will be like in Psalm 97. And as I reflected on this psalm and studied it over the past couple weeks, I asked myself the question, I began to wonder what it would be like to greet royalty what the proper response for greeting royalty would be. So just in case you have dinner with the queen plan in the next couple of weeks, I did a little research for you, did a Google search. So I have eight guidelines for us for greeting royalty today. Now this is according to Google. I didn't do a lot of fact checking on this. So this is Google's eight guidelines For greeting royalty. If royalty were to enter into the room today, the first thing that we would do is stand. Anytime royalty enters, wherever you are, if you're out in a restaurant and a member of the royal family happens to come in, you would stand. And you would remain standing until either they sat down or you were instructed to sit down. If you are a man, you would bow to royalty when you meet them, if you're a lady, you would curtsy. You would also address them properly as either your majesty or your royal highness. And then after that, you would refer to them as ma'am or sir. And everywhere I found on Google, it says you would say ma'am like jam But being from the South, I probably don't say it the right way the British royal family is used to saying it. But you're supposed to say ma'am like the A in jam. But I say them the same way. So whatever that means. The fourth thing you would do is not say "pleased to meet you. You wouldn't say it's nice to meet you or it's your pleasure to meet someone of the royal family. They're royal. You're not. Obviously it's your pleasure to meet them so there's no need to say that to them. You would also not touch them. You wouldn't reach out for a handshake. You wouldn't ask them for a selfie and put your arm around them. The only time you would touch them is if they initiated the contact with you. This one for me, I think, is the most troublesome of the eight guidelines that I found when greeting royalty, and that's you only eat when they eat. And I have an issue with this because the Queen is a good bit smaller than me um, so if you've got dinner with her planned, maybe eat quickly but just don't do it messily since you're eating with the Queen because when she's done eating or when a member of the royal family is done eating you are too whether you're full or not you're done eating because you only eat when royalty eats you would avoid talking about personal information And then lastly, you would dress appropriately. An appropriate dress for meeting a member of the royal family for a man would be a suit or at the very least dress pants and a button-up shirt or a tie. So I'm not dressed appropriately this morning to meet a member of the royal family. And for ladies, it would be a pantsuit or something like a long dress and a sweater. And this is how... We would greet royalty were they to enter today. This is the proper response to royalty were they to enter into worship today. So if this is how we would greet a member of the royal family, if this is how we would respond to a member of the royal family, how should we respond were Jesus to physically enter into our presence today? If this is our response to royalty, what should our response to our Savior be? In Psalm 97, we see that the Lord is the King of creation, and we should respond to His reign with obedience and praise. The Lord is the King of creation, and we should respond to His reign with obedience and praise. We see that God is the only true God and He is the ruler of all things. That He is our King. And because of that, we should obey Him and we should praise Him. Join me in Psalm 97 as we read through this chapter this morning and then walk through it. It reads The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all peoples see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols, worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones, And delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous and praise His holy name. Now before we walk through Psalm 97, I want to begin today by showing us how this Psalm points forward to Jesus. And that's because all of this Psalm points forward to Jesus. Because it looks forward to his return. We see proof both within Psalm 97 it's itself and outside of Psalm 97 in other passages of scripture that the psalmist is looking forward to the return of Christ. So if this entire psalm is already pointing to the return of Christ, that means we get thrown in the birth the sinless life, the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. If the psalmist is pointing us forward to the return of Christ, then we know he has already come once. So all of this psalm points forward to Jesus. Within the psalm, we see false gods bow down and idol worshipers be put to shame. This will happen when Christ returns. We see all of creation rejoicing, which will happen when Christ returns. And we see the Lord sitting in judgment, which will happen when Christ returns. But outside of this psalm, we also see evidence that Psalm 97 points to the return of Christ. There are other passages in Scripture, that mirror what we read in Psalm 97. In Second Peter 3.10, Peter talks about the return of Christ. He says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. The writer of Hebrews also describes the return of the Lord in Hebrews chapter 12 where we read, starting in verse 26, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably, with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And Jesus himself in Matthew 24 describes what his return will be like. When he says, starting in verse 29, Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So when we put all of this evidence within the psalm and with an outside of Psalm 97 together, we see that this psalm is talking about The return of our king. And when he returns, all of creation is going to recognize his coming. In the first five verses of Psalm 97, the psalmist shows us that God is the ruler of the universe and his return is anything but routine. It's not going to be just another normal day when Christ returns. Because when Christ returns, he's not going to sneak in through the back door quietly and say, surprise. When he returns, he is going to come in his full power and in his full might. And all of creation will recognize his returning. In fact, we will see his power reflected in the way nature announces his arrival. What we see here in verse 1 of Psalm 97 is that the entire earth and the distant shores are invited to rejoice at the return of the king. See, when Christ returns, his returning will be similar to when God appeared to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. In Exodus 19, God descended upon Mount Sinai when he gave the people of Israel the law. And this is how his appearance was described. This is how it happened in Exodus 19, starting in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning. With a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke. Because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. You see, when Christ returns, clouds and thick darkness will surround his throne. Fire will consume all of his enemies. His power will literally light up the sky. And mountains will melt like wax before the Lord. If mountains melt before the presence and the power of our King, surely our hearts should bow before Him. Surely we should respond similarly to nature, to the presence of our King. In the third Lord of the Rings movie, The Return of the King, Gandalf rides to Gondor as the final battle against the Dark Lord Sauron is approaching. Now, if you've never seen the movies, if you've never read the book, read the books, you're probably very confused right now. Gandalf, if you've never seen the movies or read the books, is a wise wizard, and he's a leader of the good guys, for lack of a better way to say it. And he rides to Gondor, the last great city of men, to prepare them for the coming battle. He rides to encourage Denethor, who is the steward of Gondor, to prepare for battle. But he also rides to Gondor to prepare them for the return of their king. You see, Denethor is just a steward. He's not actually the king. He's a placeholder awaiting the return of the rightful king. And he's given the ability until the king returns to rule in the king's place but he is not the king of Gondor and when Gandalf arrives Denethor believes he's just coming to try to take away his power and so Denethor says to Gandalf I will not bow to the king and I will not follow him to which Gandalf replies authority is not given to you to deny the return of the king And if I can loosely apply that illustration to our world today, our enemy, the devil, is allowed now to have power in this world. We see that he is the prince of the power of the air. But make no mistake, even though he has power in this moment, authority has not been given to him to deny the return of our King. And though I cannot tell you when it is going to happen, whether it will be today, tomorrow, or thousands of years after our lifetime, Scripture clearly teaches us that our King is going to return. And when He does, all creation will recognize His coming. He will establish His eternal throne and rule and reign on the new heaven and the new earth, where He will rule with righteousness and justice. In this scene, the return of our king, is what the psalmist describes in the first five verses of Psalm 97 when he says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. So in the first five verses, we see what his return will be like. And then in verses 6 through 9, the psalmist shows us the response to the Lord's coming. In the next four verses, we see the response to the Lord's coming. We see how when he comes, he will be exalted. He will be great above all other false gods, and they will bow down to him. The heavens will declare the righteousness of our king, and the people of God will praise him. You see, when Christ returns, every person will stand before the Lord in judgment. And this won't be a judgment of salvation because when Christ returns, that will have already been decided. You will stand before the Lord and give an account for your life, for how you live, for every word you said, thought you thought, and everything that you did in your life. Each of us is going to stand before the Lord to be judged. And when that happens, those who worship false gods, those who follow after idols will be put to shame because in that moment they will realize that their false gods cannot save them. They will know finally that their idols and the things that they put their faith in were not real and cannot save them and so they will be ashamed. They will be ashamed at Christ returning because when he returns, they will know for a fact that there is only one true God and he is Jesus. You see, they will be ashamed when he returns. Because when Christ returns, it will be too late for them to put their faith in him as Savior and Lord. You see, if your hope is in anything, is in anything other than Jesus to save you, whatever that thing is or whoever that person is will let you down. If you look to anyone else or anything else other than Jesus to define life for you, eventually that will let you down. Money will let you down. It will not save you. A good job will not save you. Physical fitness will not bring you life because eventually your body is going to wear out and let you down. Students... A 4.0 or higher average is not going to save you when you stand before the Lord to be judged. Being the best on your team or the most popular in school is not going to save you when you stand before the Lord to be judged. You see, it is only through faith in Jesus. It is only through surrendering to Jesus that we have salvation because salvation and life only comes through Jesus and my friends when Christ returns it will be too late to put your faith in him but today it is not too late so if you have never surrendered your life to the Lord and chosen to follow after him I implore you do it today do not wait until it is too late you see none of us deserves or earns this salvation we sang that this morning We've seen that already today. You cannot earn your salvation. You do not deserve your salvation. None of us deserves our salvation. It comes to us only by the grace of God. No matter what your sin is, if you repent of your sin and turn away from it and follow Jesus, you will be forgiven and you will be saved. Because your sin will never be greater than God's grace if you come to Him and repent and turn away from your sin and when that happens when you do that you are saved you're given life and the righteousness of Christ is given to you and I love the way Robert Halden talks about the righteousness of Jesus this quote from him it went so perfectly with the song we sang this morning Christ the solid rock listen to what he says talking about the righteousness of Jesus To that righteousness is the eye of the believer ever to be directed. On that righteousness must he rest. On that righteousness must he live. On that righteousness must he die. In that righteousness must he appear before the judgment seat. And in that righteousness must he stand forever in the presence of a righteous God. We sang it this morning, dressed in his righteousness alone faultless stand before the throne you see it's only the righteousness of christ that will allow us to stand faultless before the throne and to stand forever in the presence of our lord when christ returns those who followed him will rejoice and those who worship false gods and followed after idols will be put to shame and will forever be cast out of the presence of our king Look back with me, starting in verse 6. The heavens proclaim His righteousness, and all peoples see His glory. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols, worship Him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. So we have seen what the return of Christ will be like. We have seen the response to his return from all creation and from all people. So the question is, what do we do in the meantime? How are we to live as we wait for the return of our King? And in verses 10 through 12, the psalmist shows us how to live with the return of Jesus in mind. In these last three verses, the psalmist shows us how to live looking forward to the return of Christ. And he gives us two ways to live as we wait for his return. We should live righteously, hating what is evil. And we should live obediently, telling others who he is and making disciples. So we should live righteously, hating what is evil because God hates what is evil. We should live as Jesus lived. If you're a follower of Christ, that's our goal, to strive to live like Christ because He has saved you, because He has put His Holy Spirit within you and is working within you to conform you to the image of His Son, and because we have the future promise, return of Jesus we should strive to live righteously like Christ, hating what is evil, praising God and looking forward to his return. A simple way to say this is that we should love what Jesus loves and we should do what Jesus does. In a nutshell, that's how we live righteously. Learn to love the things that Jesus loves and do the things that Jesus does. And we will live like Him. The second thing we are to do is to live obediently. Telling others who He is and making disciples. As we wait for the return of the Lord, we should take the gospel to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And disciple them to follow Jesus. It doesn't just stop at sharing the gospel with them. We should come along with them and teach them how to follow Christ. So that others can know the hope that we have. So that others who are lost can have life. So that others can rejoice at his coming rather than being put to shame. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you are to leverage everything that you have. You are to use everything that God has given you to be a light in a dark world. And to make his name known. That's what it means to follow Christ. It's to surrender everything over to Him. And with all we have, with all that He has given us, to live for His glory and to make His name known. Look back with me in verse 10. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for He guards the lives of His faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the righteous... And joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous. And praise his holy name. In three days, Kayla and I will be celebrating three years of marriage. We got married August 10th, 2019. And the ceremony started at 4 p.m. So at 4 p.m., I walked in with the pastor and my groomsmen and I stood down at the front of the church and looked back to the back of the church where the doors were closed, excitedly expecting my bride to come in so we could begin our lives together. And I looked at those doors with great anticipation, waiting for the moment that they were o- would open. At 401, I stood waiting for those doors to open. At 402, I stood waiting with the anticipation building for those doors to open At 4.03, and 4.04, and 4.05, I stood waiting for those doors to open. I don't know how long I stood there. It felt like a very long time. But I stood there so long that the pastor actually looked at me and said, maybe she's not coming. (laughs) If you don't believe me, you're welcome to come over and watch our wedding video sometime, and I will prove it to you. Later on, I would find out that Kayla wasn't having second thoughts. She wasn't having cold feet. The person that was supposed to come get her forgot to come get her and tell her that the ceremony had started. So Kayla didn't know that I was standing down front waiting on her until my sister came over and peeked in and realized, we're late, we got to go. You see, it's with that same anticipation and excitement that we should look forward to the return of Christ. That we should anticipate the return of our King. Because we do not know when it will happen. At any moment, the doors could open and He could return. And so we should live every day anticipating the return of our King and looking forward to the return of our King. Translated literally, the last line of Psalm 97 says, give thanks to the memory of His holiness. Give thanks to the memory of His holiness. And that's what we get to do today as we take communion. On the last night of His life, Jesus established the Lord's Supper for us when He took Bread and broke it and when he took the cup and gave it to his disciples and if you're a follower of Jesus this morning we invite you to join us at the Lord's table if you're not a follower of Jesus if you've not made that decision yet in your life then we invite you to reflect on the truth of the gospel that you have just heard but we do not want to come quickly to the Lord's table. We do not want to come to the Lord's table with unconfessed sin in our lives. So we're going to take a few minutes to prepare our hearts to come together to the Lord's table. So in these moments, I encourage you to pray and ask the Lord to reveal to you any unconfessed sin in your life. And in these moments, if he does, confess that sin as we prepare our hearts to come together to his table. On the last night of his life, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He took the bread and he broke it and he took the cup. He told us he would not partake of this until he returns to be with his bride. This cup and this wafer represent the body of Christ that was broken for you and the blood of Christ that was shed for you eat and drink this in remembrance of him thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church this podcast is also available on our website harvestcharlotte.com Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.